Before Steve speaks, I'm going to uh, read the passage from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we've reached verse 35, and we'll read from there to the end of the chapter. Some may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Mankind has one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, fish another. And there are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and stars differ from stars in splendor. And so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of earth. As is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm.
Let nothing move you. And always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Good morning, everyone. What an amazing passage of scripture that is. It really is. Well, this morning we're on the 17th and the penultimate study of our series in 1 Corinthians. And I must say that uh, both Dan and I have so enjoyed bringing this series to you over the weeks. And uh, thank you for your many comments. It's, uh, the title of our series has been, as we all know, The Church That Had a Love Affair With Problems. And there were certainly problems in Corinth. They had problems over church divisions. They had problems over sexual immorality, problems over having court cases against each other, marital issues, abuse of the Lord's Supper, misuse of spiritual gifts. And as we saw last week, they also had problems over the things that they believed. And a key verse is verse 12 in this chapter, which we looked at last week. Uh, Paul writes, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And there were, it appears, some in the Corinthian church who believed that once you're dead, you're dead. And we said that that's not uh, a 21st century invention, but that's something that was even thought there in the first century, in Corinth particularly. And uh, Paul argues very, very powerfully against that view. And if you weren't around for our talk last Sunday, I encourage you, please catch up on podcast. I think podcasts are a great blessing to us when we can't be around so that we catch the continuity of what's being said here. Let's pray. Lord, today we pray that your word will be our guide. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit might be our teacher. And we pray also that your greater glory might be our supreme concern. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a story of a woman who lived in the early 18th century. Her name was Marjorie McCall. And she lived in Lurgan, County Armagh, Northern Ireland. And not long after she was married, she died. And she was buried in an ancient graveyard off the Shankill Street um, a, a, a day or two later. And she was wearing a very expensive ring. And some of her friends tried to prize this ring from her finger, but they couldn't do so. So she was buried with this ring. And some unscrupulous person heard about this, uh, that she was buried with this expensive ring, and she went to, uh, th th this person went to uh, dig her up the night that she was buried. And uh, he also had problems trying to get the ring off her finger. So he decided that he would cut her finger off with his knife. And much to his horror, Marjorie bled. And then she sat up. And then she opened her eyes. And the would-be thief went off in mortal terror. Uh, what had happened was that Marjorie had been in a coma. Marjorie made her way home in a, in a burial shroud. Her husband saw her, fainted. <laughs> then he recovered, realized that she wasn't a ghost. And they lived happily for some 40 years after that, having at least one child who became a clergyman. 
Finally, Marjorie died for real and was buried in the same graveyard. And I've got a photograph of this. I'll put it on screen for you. And it says on the gravestone, Marjorie McCall lived once, buried twice. <laughs> now, that's a terrible story, but it's also a wonderful story. And I think that we are safe to say, usually speaking, that dead people don't normally bleed and that they don't normally sit up in coffins. But because, you see, this body of ours is just a, an outer shell, simply it decays, it degenerates, it goes back to dust. We know that, and the Corinthians knew that, that earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, as I would say in the many a funeral service. That's a fact of life. So you can imagine yourself listening to what Paul had to teach you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, saying that one day we're all going to rise from the dead, what would be the obvious question? The obvious question would be, well, how are the dead going to be raised? What kind of body are they going to have? Which is exactly the, the question that Paul anticipates in verse 35. Now, there are normally three views of those who, uh, you know, three views of what happens following death. A lot of people believe that once an individual dies, that's it. Nothing survives death. The moment you breathe your last is when you cease to be. A lot of people believe that these days. There's a second view which says that only part of us survives after death. That is the, the soul or the spirit. The body goes back to dust, but the person's soul continues forever. And that view is called immortality of the soul, which might surprise you, is not the Christian view. The Christian view is that the whole body, together with the soul, will be recovered. That is, one day when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, there will be a, w a wonderful resurrection of bodies, which is what Paul is here teaching to the Corinthians. And over the years, most, uh, most Christians, including me, um, believe that between our death and future day of Christ's resurrection, that we will enjoy God's presence. There is a day yet to come when Christ returns, when there will be a resurrection of the bodies, but that doesn't mean that we are not going to be present with the Lord in the meantime. Of course we are, and I believe that. And um, so for that little while, we will be awaiting those new bodies, but that's no problem because in heaven, a day is as a thousand, or a thousand years is as a day anyway. So that's no real issue. You see, from my experience, I've come across um, people, many people who are prepared to believe that there might be some kind of ethereal spirit world where the soul lives on beyond death, but what they struggle with is that there will actually be a bodily resurrection, that we will have new bodies. And I've been asked on many occasions, what about those who were lost at sea? What about those who were cremated? What about those who have been blown up, blown up by bombs? What about the victims of Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima? What about those who are fed to the lions? And Paul anticipates all of these questions. And um, in verse 35, but someone might ask, says Paul, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? 
And then he goes on to say his next words were, how foolish. So if you've asked yourself that question before, I think Paul's words to you are, how foolish you are to ask those questions. Well, foolish or not, Paul provides them and us with an answer. And he goes to say that the way that you need to think about this is first of all to go into your back garden. And in your back garden there is a miracle of rebirth that we can witness every day. In fact, we've probably become so familiar with it we don't actually see it any longer. We actually miss it. You take a seed, says Paul, and you bury that seed in the soil. And even though that seed is going to die, you fully expect that from that dead seed will come new life of flowers, of vegetables. So Paul is saying here that if what happens each day in your back garden uh, is true, why do, you th why, why do you doubt that that can happen in Glasgow Cemetery or which other cemetery throughout the world? I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts this uh, uh, in his message. In, he paraphrases it. And he puts it this way. Some skeptic is sure to ask, show me how the resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you will realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this sort of thing. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed. Soon there is a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between the seed and the plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at the tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. Paul then goes on to give us a second illustration. He says, look around you. God has made all sorts of different kinds of bodies for different kinds of environments. He's given certain kinds of bodies to animals that burrow through the ground, and different kinds of bodies for birds that fly in the sky, and another kind of body for a fish in water, and yet another kind of body for humans who walk around. And he says then, look up to the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the heavenly and the earthly bodies will tell you that God will make any kind of body he wishes to fit any kind of environment. That's what Paul is saying there. I know it's uh, quite uh, an argument when you read it, you think, oh my word, what's this chapter about? But that is essentially what he is saying. The heavenly and earthly bodies will tell you that God can make any sort of body he wishes to fit any kind of environment. And since one day God is going to make new heavens and a new earth, he's perfectly able to create a new body for you to in inhabit that new environment. And that's exactly what's being said there. But what's this resurrection body going to be like? And Paul says that this body is going to be very different from the body that goes into the ground. Key verses here, verse 42 to 44. If you've got your Bibles. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And I'll leave that verse up for a moment. There are four contrasts that Paul makes here between our natural bodies which are sown into the ground and that which will one day arise again, which is the uh, resurrection body. The first uh, thing that Paul says, that the body that we sow is perishable, but the one that we reap is imperishable. So what's that mean? Well, I think you all know what fruit looks like uh, when it is perished, when it's past its sell-by date, it goes wrinkly and saggy and spotty and it's no longer crisp and firm and appetizing. And so too, yeah, I think you're there before me. So too with our bodies. Maybe not as quickly as fruit, but they are perishable nevertheless. You see, our bodies started dying the moment that we were born. You know, our hair started turning colour. I know that some of you think that I dye my hair, but these silver highlights are actually quite natural, and they, they, they grow by the day. Or our teeth, for those who still have teeth. I visited uh, my dentist on, uh, on, on Friday, and she said to me, in men of your age, blah, 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 blah. Hmm. I actually substituted what she said with blah, blah, because I didn't hear the end of the sentence. <laughs> All I heard was, in men of your age. How old does she think I am? We feel it in our bones through rheumatism, in our muscles are wasted and wane. We might gain it in bat wings. That's, a, that's actually Latin for flabby triceps. I didn't know if you knew that. You see, we might have a very firm, beautiful body when we're 20, but when we are 80, it may be not so brilliant. I hope you're feeling good about yourself. I came across this a little while ago. You know you're getting old when? You know you're getting old when the airline attendant offers you tea, coffee, or milk of, mag or milk of magnesia. <laughs> you know you're getting old when you sit in a rocking chair and can't get started. <laughs> You know you're getting old when uh, you sink your teeth into a nice juicy steak and they stay there. <laughs> you know you're getting old when that little grey-haired lady you help across the street is your wife. <laughs> and my favourite one, you know you're getting old when you watch a pretty girl go by and your pacemaker opens your neighbor's garage door. <laughs> <coughs> and Paul says that the body will be raised, it will be nothing like the body that goes into the grave. It will be imperishable. It won't be prone to sickness, or decay, or aging. It will be perfect in every way. There are not going to be any wheelchairs in heaven. Or hospitals, or opticians, or dentists, <laughs> or walking sticks, or medicines, or cancer. 
One Christian author by the name of Lawrence Richards wrote these words. Dad didn't want to go with my sister and me to meet with the doctor. We all knew what the verdict would be. Cancer. Later, Eunice and I told Dad what the doctor had said. The cancer was all through his body. It was just a matter of months. I moved into my childhood home to take care of Dad those last weeks. At first, he sat out in the living room with me and talked and watched TV. As a fighter, Dad overcame many a physical adversary during his 86 years. Now he felt frustrated. This was something he couldn't fight. Soon he was unable to sit up and he stayed in bed. As the pain got worse, I gave him regular shots of morphine. I listened as he ranged over his life in his delirium and I watched his body shrink. When the men from the funeral home took his body away, he seemed more larger than a small child curled up on his side. This wasn't the father I'd known in my childhood, so big and strong. It wasn't my fishing companion in later years. It couldn't be, and yet it was. As Paul says, the body that is sown is perishable, sown in dishonor, sown in weakness. But the glorious message of the gospel is that shriveled body that returns to the earth is nothing like the body that will be raised. I'll see my father again, I'll share with him in the coming resurrection. And when I do, the body in which he dwells will be imperishable, glorious, bearing no mark of man's weakness, but only the mark of God's power. That's the vision I have of my dad, not the withered frame that lie dead on the bed in my boyhood home, but the vibrant form of the man I knew, vitalized by God's transforming power. Wow. So let's look at these. The first thing that Paul says that the body that goes into the ground is perishable, what is raised in is imperishable. Secondly, a body is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. What does that mean to have a body of dishonor? Well, I think that we're all aware of our own sinfulness, the way that we often bring dishonor to the Lord who has saved us. And very often our bodily passions will discredit the name of the Lord, that we let the Lord down in thought and word and action. And there's coming a time when we will be taken away from this world of sinfulness and we will serve the Lord unreservedly, completely. Thirdly, the body that is sown in weakness, it will be raised in power. I think this carries on the idea that we had then the first part, the, the perishable and the imperishable, that the, all of our bodies are aging and the body that we put in the ground is a body of weakness. How often do we say, my mind tells me to do something, but my body doesn't fall in line any longer. And the older that we become, the more we need to take care of our bodies, perhaps the more rest that we require. We need to make sure that we don't overdo it. And the body that will go into the ground is weak, but the body that will be raised will be a powerful body, a body raised in strength, a body that will never embarrass us. It is a body that will have the strength to serve God 24-7. Now, some people have this idea of heaven as being full of armchairs with RIP embroidered on the headrest. It's not going to be anything like that. I believe that we will be actively serving and worshipping our God. The fourth point that he brings is that the body that is sown is natural. 
but the body that is raised is spiritual. Our resurrection bodies, I believe, will be just like the resurrection body of Christ when he rose from the dead. The natural body, this flesh that we carry around with us, is the body which we inherited from our parents, and they inherited from their parents, and they inherited it from their parents all the way back to Adam. But the spiritual body is one that we will receive from Jesus, the second Adam. You see, this mortal body that we have is not made for heaven. And that is why I and you, that we need new bodies, bodies like Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a body that could be touched. Thomas, unless I can put my hands where the nail prints have been, where the nail prints are. He had flesh and bones. He made breakfast for his disciples. He could eat food. It was clearly a physical body, but there were also times that Jesus just appeared behind locked doors with his disciples. There were times, like on the occasion when he met two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he was with them one minute and he was gone. 1 John 3, 2. When he appears, we shall be like him. But when will all this happen? Verse 50 to 52, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, the flesh and blood can not inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. You see, these bodies of ours are not made for the kingdom of God. They are perishable. They are not fit for purpose. But Paul says here, let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a mystery. Not all Christians will sleep. Now, sleep is a euphemism for dying. Not all Christians, he is saying, will die. In other words, there will be one generation of Christians that will not enter heaven through death. But they will be changed, says Paul, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. When will this be? When Christ returns. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. <coughs> and I'm sure we can say amen to that. Verse 50. Oh, let me come back. Verse 52. 50 and 52. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. <coughs> Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. It's worth reading these again, isn't it? It really is. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. There's one really important word in that and it's so easy to miss, it's the word then. Death is only swallowed up in, sorry, I haven't got the next verse, that's where I'm going wrong here. I've got um, a verse missing here. But you can look at it in your Bibles there. There is really an important word, it's the word then. Death is only swallowed up in victory when our bodies are resurrected. You see, the one thing that death does to us is it deprives us of our bodies. And therefore, it makes sense to believe that death is totally defeated when we get new bodies 
bodies that will not wear out, bodies that will last forever. You know, we often speak of salvation. You know, those of you who are Christians, you will say, the day that I was saved, yes? You speak of it in the past tense, which is true, but it's only partially true, because surely we can speak of um, uh, salvation as both as, as past, present, and future. That we have been saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be saved. In the sense that we were saved when we asked Jesus to forgive us our sins, when we made a decision to follow him. And he has promised that we are his own, that we will be with us, that he will be our God. But we are being saved that Jesus doesn't want us to remain as we were. But he is changing us into his likeness, changing us into look more like Jesus. But there's also coming a day when we will be saved. And that is what is spoken of here. When Christ comes back and we will receive new resurrected bodies, then, then, death has been swallowed up in victory. Only then will we be able to laugh at death. And in the light of this truth, it seems as if Paul now is just bursting into praise. He can hardly contain himself. You know, I, I know what he means because there have been times when I've been uh, preaching on something and the truth has hit me in a new way that it hadn't hit me in the week before when I was perhaps preparing. And as I am, I just want to laugh. And that is as much as I can do to stop myself laughing in the middle of teaching. And that's what Paul seems to be having here. And he's just wanting to laugh out loud. And he's so, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And he speaks to the death, the last enemy, the grim reaper, as if it were a naughty schoolboy. Death, you've been defeated. Death, you've been swallowed up. Death, you don't frighten me anymore. He's saying that death has not got the upper hand, and that grave is not the end. And you see, no Christian ever need fear death. There's no sting. Paul writes somewhere else that absent from this body is present with the Lord. Yes, we might suffer before we die. Yes, our families might suffer grief, but there is no sting in death for those who love Jesus. Isn't that great? Let me finish. Paul, as ever, he's never content to leave us sort of up there, you know, with all this great theology that he is proclaiming. But he always brings us back down to earth. I don't know if you've noticed that with Paul. He always does it. And he brings us back down to, you, to earth here with something that we can actually apply in our everyday lives. And after all these wonderful words in chapter 15, he provides us something to take home. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, many people who are not believers may look on at us who are Christians and say, what a waste of time. They might look at ministers and say you that I am wasting my life telling people religious myths that will ultimately have, make no difference to a person's life. They might feel that Christians would make better use of their time doing something else other than going to church. But Paul sees it the other way around. He says it's the Christian, not the unbeliever, 
who has something of lasting value. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you too will rise from the dead. So stand firm. Stand firm in your Christian convictions. You're not going to lose out. If this life was all that there was, yes, you're to be pitied. You're sorry for what? But this life is not the only life. And Paul says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, it is only one life that we have. This is no dress rehearsal for the real thing. This is it. And we would not be human if we did not on times doubt. And we all do. We may doubt about God, about our salvation, about the Bible, about our Christian labels, about all sorts of things. About whether we will see him one day. We might even be discouraged through giving so much of ourselves when those that we serve often don't appreciate our efforts, when so few people may respond to what we tell them about Jesus, when our non-Christian friends turn a deaf ear to our testimony of Christ, and even when our Christian friends choose, even though they may choose to follow Jesus, they do so in a non-committed, apathetic way. And we might find ourselves saying, Lord, has it really been worth it? Have I served Jesus in vain? Has my life on earth been futile? Has my following Jesus just been an utter waste? And this is why this passage is so wonderful and where he leaves us having taught about the resurrection for 57 verses. And in verse 58, he gives us this great, great thought. You see that if life, this life was all that there was, then the answer probably to those questions would be yes. But since we will meet Jesus face to face, we can stand firm. We can be secure. We can always give ourselves fully to the Lord, knowing that our labor, our faith, our hope in the Lord is not in vain.